Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ask Me Anything About Employment with Dennis Rice and Bill Gravel. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, my name is David Blair, and I'll be your moderator today. This webinar is not a presentation, but an interactive question and answer period. For the next hour, uh, Dennis and Bill will take any questions you have related to community engagement as a pathway to employment. Dennis co-founded Alternatives Unlimited in 1976, which is a nonprofit rehabilitation agency located in central Massachusetts and has served as its executive director since 1979. He led the steady growth of Alternatives from its origins, uh, original three programs, to a comprehensive agency with more than 60 programs with a budget of $50 million. His ex expertise includes extensive work in the development and implementation of successful residential and employment services for adults with psychiatric or de developmental disabilities. And Bill is the Director of Employment and Community Membership. Over the past 40 years, Bill has played a leading role in providing employment services for individuals with psychiatric and developmental disabilities at Alternatives Unlimited. His experiences over that time have included overseeing the transformation of sheltered work programs to supported employment programs in the community, directing a services for education and employment program, uh, facilitating employment services within the community-based flexible support model, and developing employment resources within a clubhouse environment. Today's event is jointly funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research and the Center for Mental Health Services within the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Uh, the content of this webinar does not represent the views or policies of the funding agencies and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. During registration for the event, you were given the opportunity to submit a question in advance. Over the course of this webinar, we'll alternate between questions submitted in advance and the ones you have today. You may ask questions now by typing them into the chat box below. Well, so welcome to the webinar, and I hope everyone enjoys the next hour. So welcome, Bill and Dennis. Thank you for taking your afternoon today. We're delighted to be here. Just quick orientation. One is that the Alternatives has been affiliated with the Center for Psych Rehab since actually 1980 and have worked with them around a number of projects. So we're really proud of that, of that partnership. The second thing is that Alternatives in this last year has affiliated with the Bridge of Central Massachusetts, just for clarification purposes. And together, that those two organizations have a DBA of Open Sky Community Services. I just wanted to sort of clarify sort of the names. And I am the sort of Executive Director Emeritus Senior Advisor, so I've sort of kicked me upstairs in semi-retirement, and Bill has just retired from right. from uh, Open Sky Alternatives. And so we're just two old guys right. here to answer some questions. That's fantastic. You know, before I start, could you tell me a little bit about the history of the organization, how it got to where it is now? Well, again, we started uh, in 76, as you mentioned, and we started with three programs, and it was sort of the beginning of the whole deinstitutionalization process. Basically, the state had been sued in class action suits to improve the conditions of the institutions, but also, as quickly as possible, begin to fund community-based services. So we got in at the beginning of that in 76 and basically have sort of grown having to do with sort of the funding and closing of the institutions here in Massachusetts. So uh, that's sort of how we, we've grown. We started just with residential, but then moved into employment. Uh, 
where Bill has been very involved. And we do serve both populations of people with psychiatric disability, but also people with developmental disability. Well, thank you. So I'll turn to the first question then. Uh, Michelle asks, can you please explain how the C program works? And I think that's services for education and employment. Yes. Okay, well, the C programs actually operated, I want to say, from 1997 to 2008, and there were about 25 of these programs throughout the state of Massachusetts. The different feature about them was rather than just focus on employment, he says, there was education and employment. So it was kind of an exciting time, this new model, because we were really helping people realize other dreams of going to school as well as work. And uh, in doing that, uh, our program, we, we relocated from this Whitensville facility and we actually got a, a downtown um, storefront building, downtown Milford. So we're right in the heart of the community. It was very mainstream. Uh, and, and just the idea of helping people, again, return to college, realizing that dream, in addition to doing some competitive employment, took hold. And we ran that for around 11 years. And then the state funding dried up. And those programs all closed throughout the state in 2008. And then we got kind of folded into the next model, the CBFS model. So, it's a very successful model. We did a lot of collaborating with Mass Rehab also, getting people employment. And we, our program had about 40 people we served on a regular basis. We also had relationships with a, with a number of the, the community colleges in the area, so that was yeah. also very beneficial in helping people be supported in their, in their education. And that program in particular, with the employment programs, helped us really start to do some of the more detailed community connecting with partners in the community. So we, we developed some good relationships in Milford with folks that we still have relationships with. And uh, that, that led us down this path of really focusing on more of the engaging people in the community in the process. You know, if program is over, if you were to restart that program, you know, what would you do the same? What would you do differently? How, what would it look like these days? There were a lot of good things about it. I mean, I think, again, as we build more momentum, we saw the real, uh, the more we got the community involved. So I think we would be more proactive on a lot of fronts with that. We would really make it truly engaging. Uh, like, we used to have this way of thinking that unless we're working with somebody from the community, it's incomplete. So it wasn't just staff helping somebody get a job. It was staff in partnering with people in the community. So I think I think as we got more into that, I think we would really accelerate that way of thinking and uh, do a lot more uh, interacting with the community. Uh, but it, it took us a little while because it was a brand new program, new model, so those first few years was really, uh, uh, we, we had to change away from uh, the people we served reliance on like subcontract work and more sheltered work and for them, it was a big change of going out into more competitive type work situations. So there was a few years of transitioning people and then getting uh, growing more and more with the community connecting aspects. Sure. Um, Danny in the room asks for Dennis Orbill, how much does the Rehabilitation Services Administration uh, interact with the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity? Is that something you guys know anything about? I have no idea. I'm unfamiliar with the RSA. Uh, yeah, if you're not familiar, it's fine. I wasn't sure if you'd know. Uh, he has a second question, so we can go on to that one. Uh, has your organization had 
success with your local community colleges using a supported uh, education model? Yeah, we sort of already talked about that. Yes. No, we've been uh, certainly the the main one here in the area is is Quinsigamond Community College. We've done a lot of work with them uh, around a variety of initiatives, and they've been really helpful uh, uh, in in sort of supporting the people that we serve in in college. So mm -hmm. that was a a very good relationship. But, but anyway, with Quinsigamond, uh, when we did start the C program, that was one of the main colleges we've worked with. So we developed a good relationship with uh, the disability office at Quinsigamond uh, and placed a number of people uh, in, in school there taking courses. Years later, as we were involved in the CBFS model, which was the, the next model, uh, we actually collaborated with Quinn Sigamon and created actually something Dennis kind of spearheaded, an employment academy. And that was uh, like an eight-week uh, course we did on the campus where we brought people in, got them to kind of connect with uh, people on the campus, uh, students there. And we, we actually taught classes there on employment. And we did some – we we – from the classroom, then we toured sites, and it was all a way of getting people more ready for employment. But again, that was a continuation of our relationship with Consigament. Right. We, we brought in speakers. Uh, we helped them with resumes. They did some job shadowing. Uh, yeah. And we also gave them a, uh, a, 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 a food credit to go eat in the cafeteria with all the other yeah. students. And that was, a, that was a really interesting. Yeah. We did that several times. Uh, and both people, populations too. Yeah, both populations and people. A number of people, well, some jobs, but also several people then got interested to attending uh, Quincy, right. uh, which was really neat. And some people were excited about getting their GED. Yeah. So that was a that was an interesting. Um, yeah. Right. Great. You know, and he has a, a third follow-up, and I'll, I'll ask that and move on to the next one. Does your organization receive any funding from the State Department of Rehabilitation? Yes, so we have. Yes, absolutely, uh, uh, we do. And with the new model for the Department of Mental Health, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the employment is through Mass Rehab, right. what, what we call Mass Rehab. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, the next question comes from Evan, and Evan asks, uh, "What advice would you give to an organization, organizations that are still in the process of transitioning from sheltered workshops to integrated employment?" Ooh, that's Do a good it. question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say that in a way, but sometimes it is the, the need to kind of move and get into the community because once you're there, uh, then things start to build from there. And uh, again, when uh, going back to 1997, when the mental health program that I was overseeing left this Whitensville facility, that was kind of a risky move then, but we, we situated ourselves in the community and then we were able to kind of Build from there. Uh, years later, our other programs, our programs that serve people with developmental disabilities, likewise set up. We call them career centers in different locations and downtown locations in different uh, towns around here. So uh, I think the need to kind of get out there and be around the community um, is very important. Uh, you know, um, I think that's where it all kind of begins. I mean, we we when the whole the whole deinstitutionalization process started in '76. I mean, we did have a sheltered workshop, and you know, it was meant to be a sort of a stepping stone to get people who maybe haven't done a lot of work uh, interested in work. But 
again, it, it although people for the first time maybe went home with a small paycheck, you know, it was uh, people just, you know, very much became isolated, very little relation, you know, very little sort of transition to the community. Not only did the the, the people served get sort of institutional or reinstitutionalized, sort of in our wisdom, we took people out of an institution and put them back in an institution. Uh, but staff were sort of very stuck in that kind of, mm. that sort of situation. So as Bill said, we closed the workshop maybe, well, pushing 20 years ago and, you know, set up these career centers, uh, which was, you know, which, and they, uh, they then left from, you know, we split, you know, we had uh, probably 200 people at the at, at its max in our sheltered workshop, and we set up several career centers that instead of serving 200 people, they were serving uh, like 30, 35 people. And what the other interesting thing having to do with the whole community connection piece, each one of these career centers tried to figure out how they can give back to the community. Uh, and so the one in Uxbridge is a is a uh, art gallery. The one in Rentham was a career uh, was a community gardens. The one in in Milford was a computer bank for the community. So each one sort of had their sort of uh, uh, goal of sort of giving back to the community. And when we did this, what was interesting is that we found that people were we were becoming much more part of the sort of community fabric and and over time people would then come to us with job leads which was i think a lot to do with the fact that we were just taking we were also giving back thank you um the next question comes from samantha <clears throat> and samantha asks what are some engagement techniques for individuals who are offered support and employment services but not currently interested uh income and community involvement are not their current goals well, sometimes I think we, uh, as much as we want people to be involved in the community, uh, we, we certainly respect what people's choices to pursue. Uh, we've had a, a lot of situations uh, for different reasons where people aren't willing to take that step. There, there might be fears they have of going out in the community, doing things, and uh, there could be a lot of readiness issues around them making that type of commitment. So, I mean... In those situations, I think we try to increase people's awareness, uh, whether it's sharing what other people are doing or, or still exploring with them their, uh, their passions, their interests, the talents they have. Uh, sometimes uncovering that is the beginning step uh, where then people realize uh, something they, they have a strong interest in or talent that maybe could be demonstrated out in the community eventually. Um, we've got we've had that happen many times where people that are in residential programs that aren't looking so much to go out and get a job um, or have a lot of support needs, but maybe are, are very artistic and creative, and staff can work with them on those aspects. And we've had situations like that where then some of their work might be shown as an art gallery other agency has, and, and then people slowly but surely uh, see the positive response they get from that. Uh, it starts to build uh, the beginning steps of building their confidence uh, kind of thing. But um, So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of a readiness thing and certainly increasing their awareness uh, of their own abilities, but what's out there uh, is something we would strive to do. 
Sure. It, it, you know, and that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the psych rehab approach and, and what is called readiness about self-aware, environmental awareness, commitment to change, uh, et cetera, that, that we have found, we have used and found very effective in bringing people towards their goal of, of, of whether it's, it's uh, you know, having, developing a friendship or, or getting a job or, or having a real home. Great. Uh, this one's an easy one. Uh, Donna asks, Bill, are you from Rhode Island? Yes. Why? Why do they know that? Yeah. Oh. I, I'm not quite sure, but I thought, I thought it was interesting. She just says, "Of course you are." Um, Kim asks, um, "Oh, because they too are from Rhode Island, apparently." Uh, Kim asks, "How were you able to combine programs for the two different populations, serious mental illness and developmental disabilities, both in terms of funding and curriculum options?" Uh, well, we, we serve them very, very separately, and, and the funding sources are also very separate. So uh, there's the Department of Mental Health for the people with, with a, more of a psychiatric disability, and then there's the uh, uh, Department of Developmental Services for the people on the developmental intellectual side. Uh, mass rehab at times can actually serve both populations, uh, but, right. but uh, the Department DMH and DDS you know, are the are our funding sources. And I was going to say the curriculum you mentioned too. We're referencing the uh, academy we talked about before. Those were two very uh, different types of curriculum were developed. The different populations we're working with. So we we both were involved in the academy, but they were separate. There'd be certain days. Uh, uh, staff would take some of the folks in the mental health programs three days a week. To the college for the classes, and the other two days, the staff on the DDS side would take us. So they had different approaches uh, respecting the population. Great. <clears throat> um, the next question comes from Danny, and Danny asks, "What are uh, top three training areas for your directed service staff?" That's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll do one. Uh, we do teach a, uh, a a type of interpersonal skills, uh, uh, you know, for staff to really demonstrate understanding for the individuals that we serve. Uh, it's uh, Kharkov, if people want to know uh, sort of the, the the person that sort of developed this, and that those trainings are. They start right in orientation, and there's sort of three levels of those interpersonal skills uh, that, that we teach uh, in sort of growing sophisticated in sort of how to respond to feeling and content and meaning. Uh, and those, I think, are crucial, not only in working with the individuals we serve, but it's crucial in working with staff. It's crucial in working with your significant other. Uh, and those are sort of... Uh, those skills that are, that have been helpful to me, although I don't always use them when I should be, but uh, have been really critical in sort of my own development. I think another uh, type of training uh, our agency has been very uh, strong in is uh, some of the community training we, we at one time called a redefining community. So it's uh, teaching staff how to help engage people in the community more and there, there are two uh, two types of trainings actually that sprung out of that. One was more of a focus on how to help individuals make connections, so how staff could support individuals in making connections in the community. 
And the other one was how to develop partnerships with members of the community so we can kind of help them create opportunities for the folks we serve. So uh, at one point, that was one training. It kind of branched off into two. And where we stand now, that that has kind of risen and become like a really uh, a training to be emphasized for all our staff as we try to get people more involved in the community. I guess the third would be that, you know, again, we've been affiliated with the center for, you know, since 1980, and we certainly use the the, the rehab approach uh, on a daily basis in helping people get the skills and supports they need to be successful and satisfied in the community. These are, these are all great things. Um, Kim, kind of following up with her, because she, she had asked the uh, one thing she says that, thank you, I'm from West Virginia. And we'd like to work on expanding our resources. Presently, we're graded a D uh, for mental health resources. So there's a lot that people can learn from the things that you you two have been working on for the past 30 plus years now. I, I can't even do the math in my head too quickly. Actually, it's 43. Four, yeah, for 43 years. Yeah, I was I was off by a decade. And then um, 40. <laughs> <laughs> well. We'll skip that decade for your age, at least. Um, the next question is, uh, uh, why is it so difficult to help uh, the people we serve to become active and contributing members of the community? Yeah, that's um, that's a that's a real, you know, getting a job is certainly a really wonderful way of um, of. Um, you know, of becoming connected. But, you know, the, I think only it's like, I'm not sure the exact percentage, but it's something like 20, 25% of people with a with a significant mental illness, you know, actually work even part time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, when we, this, I might ramble a bit here, you know, we, so we, for the first, you know, 20 years that Alternatives operated, we were, you know, very proud of the work we we're doing. We were very sort of dedicated, um, uh, to you know, putting our putting our efforts internally in helping the people, but uh, you know, we serve you know you know get out of the institutions, etc. And although we have always we always preach community inclusion, when we took a hard look at ourselves, uh, you know that the people that we serve, as you as you just said, you know they were uh, you know you know pretty isolated, uh, almost living like in a, in a in a in a you know, in a, in a whole other sort of parallel world, you know, feeling unwelcome. And uh, when we looked at alternatives itself, you know, that our energies were going inward, only asking outwards for money. And then when we looked at the community itself, more and more, uh, and Robert Putman talks a lot about this, more and more the community itself was be were becoming isolated in that uh, in that the, 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 you know, like people don't know their neighbors anymore. So so the jobs, the homes, and the relationships that we want for the people we serve so they would be connected are in the community. So, you know, when we looked at ourselves, we realized that we were much more of a bonding organization, and there's nothing wrong with a bonding organization, but basically it's our energies inward to sort of reinforce our identity for the private good. And what we needed to become, and which we've worked really hard on, is much more of a bridging organization where where our energy is sort of is going outward to sort of sort of uh, uh, collaborate and and sort of you know work with with those community assets for the public good you know and 
certainly bridging is harder than bonding because bonding are people that you already know and are alike. But you know, bridging I think is is uh, is more important if you're going to you know connect with the community to help the people we serve connect. I mean, if we're not connected, how can the people we serve be connected? So we've we've spent a lot of time and effort in in a number of initiatives that that are much more bridging and connecting. Uh, and as we do that, uh, we are helping the individuals. Uh, uh, you know, so for example, we encourage staff to make community connections and then use those connections to help the person that they're working with to become connected. Uh, and we also have this technology that Bill just talked about on helping the individual a person get connected to a to a club or an association, or developing these community partnerships and working on sort of a uh, around a community interest or need. And again, it's with it's that giving back process that we find so important uh, because what it does over time is it builds reciprocity. That by us doing all these things for the community, the community is much more open to who we are and providing those real opportunities for a home, a job, and a relationship that the individuals we serve deserve. Just, God, yeah. boy, that was a long one, sorry. Just to add on to that, um, earlier I mentioned that uh, we've got the people we serve, we've got the staff, and we've got the community as the three groups that are involved in everything. So um, I jotted down a few things to that question. Uh, and what I saw is what makes it difficult to help people become active, um, contributing members of the community. From the individual's perspective, it's that uh, it can be very fearful of the change and lacking confidence moving forward, and they might not know what, where, and how to be involved. So there, there's a lot of uncertainty on their part on how to move forward, so they require a lot of assistance. The staff that are supporting them also can find this very challenging to engage people in the community. Sometimes staff are very, feel very safe working within a program, but if they have to go out and work more in the community, it requires a different uh, set of skills. And they also are, the staff are in a position of providing support to the individuals and the community members because as people get more involved, uh, they're their support is kind of branching out more to support both groups now that they're working with. And the community members, from their point of view, we always hear the phrase of stigma of them changing negative beliefs about people with disabilities. So, I mean, th there are three groups here uh, when we say what makes it difficult that are all challenged in some way with this effort to move forward. Thank you both. Um, Danny asks, uh, are you accredited with the Commission on Accreditation of Rehabilitation Facilities? Uh, some of our programs are. Uh, and the Bridge of Central Mass is actually totally CARF accredited. <laughs> These are all their programs. So I think the next round with CARF that both organizations, uh, the whole organizations, uh, both organizations will be CARF accredited. Great, great. Um, this this is more of a statement. Go ahead. This is about CARF. I mean, uh, we first, I think, uh, I think the first time we were accredited with CARF was like maybe 83 or 85, somewhere in there. And it, CARF has been really helpful in sort of uh, developing the infrastructure of our organization uh, and, and setting up sort of accountable systems. So uh, uh, it's, 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 I think it's, very, it's worthwhile for people to take a hard look at CARF and whether they want to be accredited or not. 
Could, could, could I ask a follow-up to that? Is how has the accreditation changed since the '80s? You know, what, what's different now? Is it the same basic principles, or you know, what's the value that it brings to you? I think it's the same basic principles. I mean, they they have the sort of the administration side, the program side, and then looking at the individual. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's uh, they they've sort of expanded and changed the, sort of as pro, as program models develop. They too have developed uh, in accrediting those models. Uh, hmm. Like you know, when uh, when we started out, there was uh, I don't there wasn't uh, supportive employment, and now mm -hmm. they will look at supportive employment or shared living. There was there wasn't anything called shared living, and now they I think they accredit shared living or a version of that. Great. Uh, this one, this one's more of a, a, a statement, um, Curtis. Uh, and and someone else has a question following, so I'll, I'll read both together here. Try to merge things for you. Uh, we have uh, integrated Robert Karkus. I, I don't know the last name. Well, uh, the art of helping with our staff training for many years and find it to be very uh, impactful approach. In addition to other approaches, for example, motivational interviewing. Uh, these integrate very well with the psychiatric rehabilitation model we use. And then Evan writes, uh, does the Kharkov translate well to working with individuals with uh, IDD? Or are there other curriculum resources you can recommend for training staff to integrate individuals with IDD into the community? Uh, well, we uh, we certainly do some some you know, some computer stuff and, you know, talking that way through computers, which have been helpful. But, no, I think Karkov uses it, works well. Even people that are nonverbal, uh, many of them are uh, can understand, although they can't speak. So the idea of responding to feeling and content to someone who is, you know, is say is, is upset that, you know, you're feeling, uh, you know, angry because, Whatever uh, I think can be very helpful in confirming the person's feeling, uh, even though they can't necessarily talk back to you. So uh, we have used that uh, very much. Um, uh, Tarek asks, uh, what ways uh, does your organization, or what ways do your organizations support and advise high-functioning persons with mental illness who work part-time, volunteer, live codependently, and receive government support uh, break free into uh, professional and competitive work to be self-reliant, live independently, and develop and/or maintain meaningful relationships. That's a, that's a long question. If I can reread it for you, if you need. You, you mean to become the perfect human being? Right. Yes, we yeah. all we all strive for that. So, um, I, I mean, I think it's just part of the process. I don't. I mean, right. I mean, I think it, it it doesn't end when people, let's say, people get jobs. Uh, in some ways, a lot of our work really begins then because now they're tasked with becoming more independent and uh, transferring that support to others, but all the things that go along with it, supporting them on how to access other resources, uh, dealing with SSI or benefit specialists and things like that, they're going to be crucial for them. And we generally follow along with people uh, as, as long as we are needed kind of thing, uh, but um, you know, uh, to see that transition step where we're transitioning our supports to others in the community. Dennis had mentioned earlier that this this year we're in the process with employment services of transitioning a lot of that in the direction of mass rehab. So the employment staff we have now, the department is working closely with mass rehab 
So some of that, those responsibilities are going to be geared more in that direction. So it, it's similar to a lot of things that uh, we try to provide that support as long as it's needed. I mean, what? Um, just one more angle on that. It, in that, uh, when we, you know, we talk about real homes, real jobs, real relationships. And so when we talk about real relationships. Uh, what we mean by that, and, there, and there's nothing wrong that, that an individual served has, has a relationship with staff or a relationship with someone else that has a disability. But, what we've, but if that's all they have, that's really limiting. And so with this emphasis on community connections and getting people involved in, in various associations or clubs or, you know, you know basically contributing their sort of uh, what they have to offer, their, their gifts and their talents within a valued role. Uh, basically, that is helping that person develop their own social network that, that, that maybe isn't always connected to, the, to human services. As a matter of fact, uh, I mean, it depends a lot on what they want to do, but the, to me, the more they have, in addition to whatever they have within the agency, uh, develop connections, uh, I think the better it is in helping that person sort of move along. Um, Donna asks, um, does your organization have funding for post-employment services? Funding for post, well, again, if, if vocationally with Mass Rehab, I mean, there are aspects of Mass Rehab contracts that can provide ongoing supports. Yeah, so ongoing support comes through Mass Rehab, not something they necessarily go through you for. Right, right. I mean, once they graduate, yes, that yes. is correct. Uh, Rhonda asks, have you utilized a wellness recovery action plan uh, for individuals who are working or going to work? Yes, in fact, uh, a few years back, uh, our agency got involved where we uh, began our first, like, uh, hiring some peer specialists. and. We had like a, a coordinator of peer services, uh, and that's continued on with the newer agency now. But uh, in doing that, that was part of it too, because we had uh, people in recovery that were in staff roles. So uh, a lot of them had wrap plans and were in the process of kind of with the people they support, get involved in helping them with that. Uh, and, and again, I'm sure that's continuing on now because now there are even more peers throughout the Open Sky Community Services. Great. Uh, Danny asks, and I'm just kind of going through a bunch of questions quickly here, uh, does your organization acknowledge or celebrate community employers who hire your job seekers, and, and if so, how? Oh, yeah, no, uh, we really like those guys. So, <laughs> so we have, uh, I mean, we do it sort of ongoing, but the big one, we have what is called a thank you reception where, uh, you know, we can have as many as, 800 people there, or, or we've, alternatives have that, and, and I think they're they're trying to figure out how to do something similar with the combined organizations. But uh, there there'd be you know there would be individual served awards, staff awards, but then we had a number of community awards, and uh, a number of those awards would then go to employers that that have uh, hired uh, you know individuals that we serve uh, either part time or full time. Or have helped other helped in advocating on our behalf to get other employers uh, to hire the people that we serve. And then can can you talk you know about other ways you engage the broader community? So not necessarily the the clients you're serving, but the ways you engage employers or you know community in general. I mean, um, yeah. 
Yeah, well, what, um, we have what are called regional advisory councils, and uh, those would be, there's some, some staff that are there too, but basically the, these would be sort of community leaders in a given geographical area, and basically their job is to sort of widen our circle of friends in that geographical area. Um, and, you know, they would, they do that by, um, uh, you know, well, working on special projects. I mean, if they see something in the community that, that we could sort of tackle with another community, a non-human service, other community, I mean, we would, they would be helpful in setting that up. Uh, we have what are called bridging grants that then would fund like we, some examples of our bridging grants is that together with the Rotary Club uh, in the north and I think also the Lions Club and a couple of the, the schools, we, with a bridging grant, uh, totally uh, renovated a playground in the, in the town or city of Gardner. Uh, in Worcester, we did a, a, a mural, uh, again, working with uh, Quinsigam and uh, uh, community center volunteers there and volunteers from from our side to then paint this beautiful mural mural of of the uh, the Blackstone Canal. So there there's several of these bridging grants that we then engage people. Uh, and uh, and our biggest thing that where we engage is that we restored uh, the White Mill here in Whitensville. And the, besides it being our corporate headquarters. Uh, and having affordable apartments and, uh, and a, an employment program. Uh, it has a theater, it has a gallery, it has studios, uh, it has a community plaza where we have free summer concerts. There are, I think it's six community theater groups that make it their home. Uh, we, you know, there's, we have all sorts of arts and culture sort of activities here at the, at the White Mill that uh, is, 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 is you know, and, and you know, people ask, well, why did we do that? And we, we, and because we had to raise a lot of money to restore this and renovate this mill, uh, we we raised over four and a half million dollars. And so I, I sort of have two answers for that. One is that, uh, you know, one of our highest priorities uh, as a human service organization is to live in a more collaborative, diverse uh, community with a strong sense of place and. We believe very strongly that the various activities and events that we have here at the White Mill, you know, contribute to that end. And the the other thing is that uh, by you know by alternatives or by uh, well back then alternatives, Open Sky taking sort of an uh, an active role in historical preservation. And one of the mills that we stored here is probably the second or third valuable mill here in the Blackstone Valley, which is, if people don't know, the birthplace of the American Industrial Revolution. Uh, it's very green, you know, so though what we've taken leadership in the green, uh, you know, with the turbine, the water, the water turbine, the geothermal, and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the panels on the roof, and then uh, the arts and culture aspect that, you know, by taking a leadership role in all of those for the community, I mean, to me, the community is, is much more open to who we are in helping us with those opportunities to get a home, to, to get a job, and to get a relationship for the people we serve. Uh, and sort of one way of sort of summing that up is it is all about reciprocity. It's something that we should all be working towards uh, as, as we move forward. And we have, um, years ago, uh, alternatives to develop curriculum on this, as I mentioned before, like a two-fold approach of helping individuals. but 
get make their way into the community. But the second uh, training was referred to as creating community partnerships, and I'm just reading off here. There are four in that process. There are there are four main steps we take that that have several parts to them. But the first one is we help identify neighborhood passions of folks in the community of who we can collaborate with. We engage with these organizations, the second one, then we initiate joint projects, and then we celebrate successes. So we, this is curriculum that's developed in uh, staff uh, through alternatives all these years, and now Open Sky will be trained in these things because they're all challenged, all staff are challenged to take part in helping to create these opportunities in the community. Uh, can can you guys, you know, you touched on it a bit earlier, uh, but you, you mentioned Open Sky and Alternatives, and at one point you two have come together. How is that How is that relationship working? How is that benefiting as an organization? Uh, well, it's, again, just to be clear, it's Alternatives who have, who have a, I mean, both organizations still exist, but who are affiliated with the Bridge of Central Mass that is a very similar organization to Alternatives. And okay. again, the DBA is, is Open Sky, and of course, and we are, even though we're affiliated in two separate agencies, basically we are sort of merging the services and the programs uh, under under one management system. Uh, and it's, you know, growing, you know, whenever you, you, it's interesting how on paper we have very similar values and we do, uh, very similar mission, et cetera. But it's interesting when you come together with another organization, you do everything no matter how small it is differently. So it, it, there is a, and we're still in that. It's just been it's just been a little over a year. We we uh, we came together last July first, so it's a year and a month uh, that we've been together. Uh, so it's uh, uh, you know it's it, there's certainly a, a learning period, but you know my sense is that things are are going pretty well. Happy birthday. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Rhonda asked, do you work with staff on training and teaching staff on supporting other uh, in acquiring life skills through how to break down skills and meet individuals uh, where they are at or just right at the challenge for that individual? And if so, what training do you use? Well, it made me think when you were describing that of our uh, direct skills teaching trainings we've had that we uh, – Got from our early years working with Boston University uh, on helping people break down uh, skills into manageable steps and then routing them, to, routing them together. Uh, so that's been kind of just as like an interpersonal skills training, been a long-standing training alternative says put out there for all its staff to, to learn. Uh, certainly necessary to help people in whatever environment, work or in their residence, uh, develop more skills. Okay. Yeah, we, I'm trying, no, we, go ahead. we we would break that down absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, using sort of the tell, show, do feedback format, uh, which we were taught again using the ropes method. You know, I was trying to look for the the program you mentioned to people on our website, um, and, and I couldn't find it. So I'm just going to drop a general link to people who who might find that training or, or something like that on there. If, if we were the fact. This predates me, but if we're the ones who developed it, there's probably something out there still. Um, sure. Danny uh, asks, let's see, is this, uh, is supplemental uh, security income and or social security disability um, benefits planning uh, provided? 
to people? Yes. Well, uh, again, in recent years, uh, where that's become taken on a, a, a bigger role, and the state has uh, had more like benefit specialists uh, throughout the state in the different regions. So, uh, staff we have employment staff are instructed uh, certainly to work with benefit specialists in each area. Uh, to kind of help them track throughout their employment journey where they're at and how it's going to affect them, how to report uh, wages. So that's kind of uh, one of the first steps when we start working with people on employment that we kind of uh, make a connection with the benefit specialists in the area. And we have them in each of the areas, the Worcester area, up in the Fitchburg area, and down in the Milford area where we operate. Great. Uh, so the next question is, uh, how can participation in community life lead to successful employment? Well, I, I think what comes to mind to me is, you know, certainly uh, as people get out there and experience more, uh, spend more time with people, maybe demonstrate some talents or gifts they have, it, it, it certainly affects their confidence and their ability, uh, how they feel about themselves. Uh, also uh, gives them an opportunity to impress others and so maybe improves their marketability and their opportunities to kind of go in the direction towards employment. But our experience has been, uh, again, people that are somewhat timid around getting out there, it often is a confidence issue and is they've gotten out there. And, and when we say get out there, we, we again have an approach of really trying not necessarily get out there just to get a job, but try to find out what people's true passion is. So I used the example before of somebody that's creative or artistic or maybe somebody likes music and help them try to pursue that in the community or their groups they could join, or their music groups or, or just around. We even had a, a situation um, a few years back where we had this fellow uh, the staff was working with. He was fascinated with... Uh, with rocks and stones, and the staff actually found a mineral club that he was able to join and get together with other people on a regular basis to kind of connect around that. So that kind of meeting people where they're at, finding what they're interested in, and um, in getting them to kind of build relationships with people that have similar interests is kind of the direction uh, we try to pursue. And, and again, oftentimes that might lead them in the direction towards employment. Right. I mean, the more sort of you're out there, that hopefully the the larger your social network you're developing, um, and you know, uh, I mean, that's just you know, and and that has a lot to do with social capital. Uh, that's sort of a word I think people people know you know a lot what that means is you know those those resources and who you know and the different groups that you're associated with uh, to have you know to increase your sort of quality of life and. So the more you're out there, I think the the more chance you would have of making a connection that could lead to employment. Uh, one example is that uh, uh, we have, as I mentioned, these advisory councils, and uh, there's an opportunity for one of the people we serve to go before that council to sort of present who they are and the kinds of things they were interested in. And so uh, that 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 has happened, you know, on and off. And this particular individual went to the one in Milford and presented and, and just sort of described what he was then interested in. And usually it's not this easy, but one of the community members was looking for someone to actually meet that very that, that very job, and he was hired like the next week. So uh, I think the more you're out there, the more chances you're going to then run into something or, or, or hear about something that would be of interest to you. 
Um, Sam asks, uh, we have challenges engaging some of some individuals who have a permanent housing voucher. Aside from discussing community involvement and having income, uh, what are some ways we can highlight the value of working to participants? I'm not sure if I understand. Uh, are you saying that the housing uh, voucher is a barrier for the person? So I'm going to try to take a guess. I'm, I'm guessing the idea of having everything safe for forever, you know, their housing is permanently taken care of, their, uh, you know, their basic needs are taken care of. Uh, aside from discussing uh, community involvement of them and having more of an income, you know, increasing what they take home so they can live and do more, uh, what are some ways that they can highlight the value of working to those sort of individuals? Well, all right, if money isn't, I, I mean, again, I, I think, um, Certainly, increasing people's awareness of what other people are experiencing. Um, I mean, I, I think, again, we, we try to uh, go in the direction of what is the person most interested in, and sometimes that kind of opens up in the direction towards employment. If somebody's feeling totally safe in their situation, they don't need money, so we're, we're almost trying to get them to see the value of becoming more independent, standing on their own, and maybe there's ways we would try to emphasize that, that when somebody does do things that go in that direction, that we would really get behind that and recognize that. So we would try to uh, try to solidify that value in that person uh, so they become less dependent and see the, the importance of becoming more independent. Kind or of. interdependent, right? Yeah. That they're, you know, that there's sort of giving and receiving in sort of outside. Uh, but, you know, some of the systems that we have in place sort of breed dependency. I mean, right. it's, it's it's certainly an issue that uh, that at times we, you know, we too have to try to, try to break yeah. through. Okay. Um, Tom asked an interesting one. Uh, he asked for any suggestions on how to keep employers engaged uh, when you don't have an individual that is a good fit for them at that time? One of the things, uh, when as part of the CBFS programs, we actually utilize the IPS, Individual Placement and Support Approach, which people are familiar with that. It's more of a, uh, as the people we serve, if they express any interest in employment, we try to act on that and move in that direction. Uh, but one of the things that's unique to that model, the approach they had around job development was often they referred to it as the three cups of tea approach, uh, where uh, the first cup is you, you just make the connection with the person that set up an appointment with an employer. Second one, you actually go in and to some degree interview the employer around their needs uh, and get them to see that you're there is another resource for them. You're trying to find out what their ideal employee would be. And then the third uh, step, the third cup in this round, would be that maybe you create an opportunity for one of your folks to interview there. Uh, but using that model, um, I think it leaves the opportunity to continue to stay in touch with that employer uh, because, again, uh, maybe you don't have the uh, employee for them, but maybe you can still act as a resource to connect them that somebody else does. So I, I think you, when you don't have that person, you can still play that role of being an employer uh, because you, you, you're you all in the same business. You're all trying to create opportunities and fill those opportunities. 
but so we do have a in the in this in central Massachusetts a a is it called an employment collaborative? Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's several agencies that so if, if employment employment so if if for some reason you know we couldn't fill a slot we would put that out there to the to the collaborative and maybe they have someone that could fit that slot. Right. Sure. Uh, next, couple, couple last questions that we have time for here. Uh, next one is: Do you have any suggestions uh, for an employer reluctant to split a full-time position into two part-time shifts or to, to try to find roles for people? I, you know, I, I think on, on the employer's side, uh, I think if they're familiar with the folks involved, uh, we've we've seen that happen uh, at times. It, it, it can. Be positive. It can lend flexibility. You got two people that kind of are involved. Um, so I, I I think we've done that in the past. I think it's a matter if uh, they're satisfied with both people. Talking about splitting a job into like two part-time jobs, that uh, that if the people involved are qualified, uh, usually it's not a problem. I mean, we're done that. yep. Yep. All right. Uh, next one up is uh, Jenny asks, uh, even with work incentive planning and assistance, we still have a problem getting people to try to get back to work. Uh, we also have the barrier of community and work incentive coordinators uh, not even wanting to talk to people unless they are already working. What do you suggest? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's a little different than what our experience been, uh, but I, I, I sense maybe it's a numbers game that if there. Uh, we did have some points when we had less uh, benefit specialists, so they would tend to only prioritize people at certain stages. So um, it sounds like it's a bigger system issue about how many resources are available to kind of help people. We did, uh, when that did occur, when we had less, I want to say five years ago, and we had less of these benefit specialists, um, the UMass Medical Group uh, that has a work without limits uh, uh, department, they put on some trainings with the Department of Mental Health. So the idea was to train some of our existing staff to become uh, pretty uh, skilled around benefit specialists. So they wouldn't uh, be the total person, but they could be they could be an extension of that. So uh, that that probably is probably the closest we've come to around feeling the struggle with that and what was done about that. And we did uh, send staff, it was almost like a boot camp where they would send staff to like three intense days of learning a lot. In fact, I, they still offer that uh, uh, around here. So they trained staff up to become very uh, knowledgeable about benefits so they can help to whatever degree they can and maybe offset some of the overload on the benefit specialists. And then the final question we have uh, today is, how do you increase the reciprocity of community members uh, to provide real opportunities? Well, it's, um, I, mean, I mean, again, it, it's, it's, it takes two to have reciprocity. And so uh, in a number of our initiatives uh, where we then, say, renovate a playground or put up a mural or uh, repair uh, the the railings of a of of, of, a, of a community's library, uh, always working with with people from from Open Sky Alternatives, but also working with their volunteers. Uh, 
And we do that in little ways and we do that in, in larger ways, like the white mill and all that it gives back to the community. By us giving back, uh, we, we, we have seen how then communities are more open to who we are and, and uh, will consider uh, uh, giving back to us. And, and if I have a choice of them writing a check for you know, $50 or uh, providing a job or willing to volunteer at Alternatives, I'll take the job and volunteer every time. Thank you, uh, Dennis, and thank you very much for your time, Bill, as well, uh, for answering everyone's questions today and for everyone who, who joined us. It was, it was really quite informative. I appreciate it. Um, the next Ask Me Anything for Everyone in Attendance session is coming soon, uh, and you should receive announcement by email in the weeks ahead. In the next few days, you should also get a survey about your experience today. Uh, we'd love to get any feedback you have about today's event. Uh, so thank you again, and we look forward to having you join us in the future. Thank you, uh, thank Dennis you. and Bill. Thanks. I really appreciate it, guys. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Bye now.